Welcome to the Jordan Podcast. In a world of unlimited content and information, we want to equip you with a biblical worldview from members of your Jordan team. So one of the questions we get most often when people come to us is, um, how do I make a decision regarding X, Y, or Z? And arguably between the ages of 18 and 25, you're going to be making some of the biggest decisions that will affect the rest of your life. Who are you going to marry? What career do you want to go down? These kind of decisions. And um, I'm curious from the rest of the team as we get people asking, how do I make decisions? What do you feel like is behind that question? Like, what are some of those fears? What are some of those curiosities as people ask the question, how do I make a decision? I think it, the the foundation of it is uh, we're like, we're a very linear species, you know, and we're very cause and effect oriented. And so I think so many of us, because of like the importance of each singular moment, think if I make a bad decision here, it's going to, like the butterfly effect, then it's going to lead to here, then it's going to lead to there, and then ultimately it's going to ruin all things. And and then I think it just, it we don't want people to think that we're bad decision makers in general. And I, so I think that's what plays into the fear and concerns. I don't know if you guys think about something. Why are we so scared of making decisions off? Yeah, I mean, sometimes I think it comes from like a good spot, like not wanting to do something wrong. You know, we still want to honor God, but then a lot of times you're like, freaking out and dishonoring him in our anxiety so much like the anxiety or the stress is more about like it goes back to pride and like how can I make perfect decisions and less about living in grace and just like letting God provide and care for us that's really good I love the idea of living in grace versus needing to be perfect on that one we have Tyler uh Cable here he's the general is that your title general manager of Revolution Roasters yeah cafe manager nice uh anyway he's been a long time North Coaster he helps us with all of our coffee needs on Thursdays, and he is just an absolute gem. But this is a guy who, at the young age of, how old are you now? 20? 20. 20. Okay. <laughs> at the age of 20, you're kind of in a really cool, like, full-time job. You're married. Like, you're you're renting out a home out in Bonzel. Like, you, there's so many things that you look at your life, and you seem to be a little bit more type A personality and kind of have things in order. And yet there's got to still be fears underlying that. What are some factors that go in when you go to make a decision? What are some of your measuring tools that you use to check? Is this a good decision? Is this a bad decision? What are some of those tools the Bible gives us and some ones that you use personally in your life when it comes to those bigger decisions? Yeah, I think relying on people that know you really well helps a lot. I think when you try to make all your decisions for yourself, you don't see it clearly. You're acting out of how do you feel about the decision? If it is scary, you're acting out of fear and not out of reality. So I think relying on mentor figures that know you really well, maybe people down the line who have made similar decisions and either paid some dumb pa- dumb tax for those decisions or made really good decisions, they can speak into your situation with none of that fear and none of that like consequence from the decision that you end up making. And they are really able to see it outside of your feelings about it and and give you good guidance. So I think even just downloading with those people and having conversations with them to give you clarity can help you make some of those decisions that you might make out of fear or insecurity or or pompousness or pride. It kind of levels you in those decisions. Well, well, Paige, same question to you, right? I mean, you've got a beautiful daughter who's joining us on set today, little Piper. She is piping, sorry. <laughs> she's making noise and she's our favorite. And so uh, but you obviously, you're making decisions. You're not just making decisions for yourself, but oftentimes 
you're mentoring a lot of girls at once that are looking for life choices. What are some of those best pieces of advice, biblically and personally, that you would recommend someone walk through when they're making a decision? So shout out to Tyler's comment on mentorship. I actually heard this from one of my mentors, but this phrase has absolutely changed the way that I look at what I say yes to and what I say no to in life is that every yes is a no to something else and every no is a yes to something else. And something that's been huge for me in the decision-making process, and I believe this comes from a clear biblical framework given to us by God, is uh, being clear on what my mission is in life and framing every yes or no around does it help me accomplish that mission. I think if we, uh, that's kind of the, the heartbeat of our podcast is to say, what does the Bible say about this? The Bible would first say, with absolutely no apology, if you're deciding between two things and A is sin and B is not sin, then you do B every time. There, You don't need to pray about it. You don't need to seek mentorship. You don't need to uh, sit in a dark room and worship to Hillsong music for the next three hours. Like, it's just that simple. And those are the, those are the situations when, when God's word says something, I think that's probably for me the most frustrating, the most frustrated that I get. And I know that I can see the world a little bit more systematically, but I know if I'm, if I'm working with students or even adults or married couples and they say, well, I know what God's word says, but I always, there's a, um, this guy named Chris Voss, he talks about negotiation tactics and he said, everything after, but is the point you're trying to make, right? He said, just, you can disregard everything because the truth comes after the, but, and so, which is fun when you say, well, I know what the Bible says, but I go, well, I really, I'll throw out that you said, you know what the Bible says, and I'm going to listen to your second part because that's where your heart really lies. Because in any conversation, if you said it properly, sometimes we say, well, I know what the Bible says, but but if you, if, if you actually explicate what you're saying, what you're saying is God has told me this clearly, but that's a lot more difficult to disagree with. Does, does that make sense what I'm saying? So I think the, sure. the first thing is to go, if the Bible says it, that's it. You don't need to do any more decision-making. Does that make sense? For sure. It feels like the whole decision-making process is an invitation to see where the authority in our life lies. And if it's to please other people, then we've given other people the stick of authority. Or if it's to please ourselves and our pleasure, pleasures, then it's us who has authority. And if at the end of the day with our decision, what we care about is, is this going to please the Lord? He has our authority. Which is really, he's the only one who it should count for, right? Yeah. And you might have a, I would say the first thing is, uh, well, you can help me with this. What's after sin? I would say like in my heart after sin, after that, if I'm weighing all my options and I go, okay, this is not a sin issue, right? Like maybe I want to go to uh, CSU San Marcos or I might want to go to Palomar or Miracosta, right? There's neither, none of those are a sin issue, at all. So it's a decision that goes beyond that. I think the next realm that I jump into after sin issue is I think, I like what you guys talked about, like the last day principle. What do I feel like I'm called to be? Like, who do I feel like I'm called to be? And is there an option in here that doesn't allow me to be that? Does that make sense what I'm saying? That's that next level for me. What do you do after that? Or, or maybe you have a, a different second step. But for me in big life decisions, I go, is this sin? Is this in alignment with who I want to be on my last day? Or is this in line with my calling? I feel like when I talk to someone, the reason the idea of what has God called me to be is so prevalent in our modern culture is because we are so much more, and I just read this book, 
it talks about the collective conscience of an ancient Near Eastern culture that Jesus would have been born into and lived in and the personal consciousness of modern-day Western thinking that we're like the first group of people who's ever said, what do I want to be? And we ask ourselves that question rather than looking at our community, our clan, our tribe, our group, our church around us, and we basically throw up our hands and say, what do you need me to be? We are... We judge ourselves by our ability to be unique and to be outside of the box. And Jesus was born into a culture, just like everyone else's culture, that really your success in life was whether you contributed to who your family was, to who the legacy of your clan was. And and then he gives us the church as our new family. And so, but we rarely look at our church family and say, what do you need me to be for you? Instead, we go, what do I most, what's going to make me the most money? And that's a lot of the struggle I see with students or like young adults when they come and talk to me, is they have their their pragmatic brain, and then they have what I feel like God's instilled into their heart and into their life as deep talent and deep giftedness. But they think that the deep giftedness is going to lead them to a life where they aren't going to be able to afford a new car every other year, and they're not going to. And that's really where I feel like the questions start coming out. Because almost anyone without the concerns of pragmatism and you ask them, what do you think God wants from you or God wants from your life? Most of the time, you just find where their passions are and that's where you're going to find your calling. For sure. And there's almost this expectation of of a, a radical moment of your calling being revealed. And I feel like as we see just in, in people's lives through scripture is that often it's revealed in just taking the next step forward in something mundane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... This one has been striking me lately out of John 20 and how Mary, right after Jesus dies, she's just doing the next right thing. She's showing up with spices. She thinks Jesus is dead and she's just going to embalm his body so that it can maybe last a little longer than they thought it would. She wasn't expecting to find a risen Jesus. And in just that simple next, you know, doing the right next thing, she's given this task of getting to go and share that she saw the risen Jesus. And, but it didn't happen in this like, I mean, there were angels, and it was kind of crazy. But um, it just happened in, like, a very mundane activity. What would you say your calling is on your life, and how are you able to exercise that in a non-church world, and how do you feel like you're doing with that? I feel like one of the funnest parts about working in a coffee shop is just the environment that you get to create when people walk in. I'm so obsessed with how do they feel when they walk in and do they feel seen? Do they feel comfortable? Do they feel like this is a place that they belong? Um, And I feel like when you know Jesus deeply, you want others to. And when you start to understand some of those characteristics of who Jesus is, maybe people need to experience some of those outside of church walls before they can get comfortable with with the idea of them being inside church walls. I feel like Philippians 2 is another huge call from scripture to not look to your own interests, but to look to the interests of others. You know, there's discipleship and there's witnessing, but there's also just like take care of the people around you and don't be so self-involved all the time. So doing the dirty work, doing the things that other people want to do, making sure the whole team operates in a culture of that. That's so good. So as we walk through that, then we talked about, is this a sin issue? Is this is this in alignment with my calling and who I want to be? And, and I think that's another reason why it, like l- life groups or community is so important. Cause if, if I asked you who in your life knows you well enough and knows the Bible well enough and knows Jesus close enough that if you ask them, 
what do you think my calling is in Christ? And they would have no idea what to tell you because they don't know you well enough or they don't know Jesus well enough. So an analogy that I've been thinking about when it comes to decision-making, and I'd love to know your thoughts, and it, it hits to that question, Christopher, is so in wanting to make a decision, it's like a kid going like want to get his dad a present and he goes to the tie store and is that a thing a tie store and he's like I don't know which one my dad would like would he like this one or this one and then he goes to mom and says which one would dad like and mom knows dad so well that she knows instantly he'd want that one shouldn't have to ask him shouldn't have to pray about it shouldn't have to like have this crazy moment of it being revealed and like a spotlight comes down on it she just she just has spent enough time with and knows her husband so well that she she knows what he would want to choose. So I feel like that can come into our decision-making process or people who know Jesus well or ourselves who have access to know Jesus really well. How do you feel like that changes the game in making decisions about our life? I love the phrase in the New Testament. And if I'm using this out of context, you guys can smite me with lightning or whatever. But I love the passage that says, who of you, if their child asked for bread, would give them a snake? Mm-hmm. And and so I think there's something in that, that if, if all those things check out, this isn't a sin issue. I'm inside of my calling. Mentorship has kind of shrugged their shoulders and gone, yeah, man, I think you can't go wrong either way on this one. I think there's a beauty there that after I know, I, I'm pretty sure I'm inside God's will, no matter what I do, to go, Christopher, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. Like, what are you most excited about? What do you What are you passionate about doing? And that's where I feel like there's so much freedom and I get to feel the joy of the Lord just by him saying, what do you want to do now? And that's been one of the most like evocative things is those seasons of my life where I get to look around and I look at, it's not a sin issue. And then I see Jesus standing there and he's like, Hey, you're inside your calling. And Hey, look, this is mentorship checks out with it. All good wisdom says you're good either way. And then I almost, I almost like picture Jesus looking at me and going like, son, it's, it's, it's up to you. What do you want to do? That's such a cool moment to get to that. I think sometimes we, we forget that the Lord delights in us and in the lives that we get to live. Does that make sense? Yeah. I even love that word passion of like something you love so much that you like gladly suffer for it. Yeah. And like the idea of Jesus loving us so much that he dies on the cross for us. I feel like it is almost a call to be passionate about what you're doing. Mm. So if you do love what you're doing and it makes you come alive, it's almost, it's like, Jesus telling you, yes, like this is, this is within my will and this is what I I have called you to do. I feel like there is the other end of it where you should be suffering for it and you should be serving and it should be hard, but it's so rewarding because of that. I feel like something that you're passionate about should most definitely be a part of that decision making process. Yeah. Well, I mean, Nat, you finish a week at camp with a group of high school girls and like, what's your mindset at the end of that week? And, and kind of that dichotomy that Tyler was just teasing out of you probably are exhaust, more exhausted than you could ever imagine in your life, but you also have this deep sense of fulfillment. What are moments like that? Or, or how do those moments play into your idea of calling? And, and, and have you ever done something that, that you did suffer for? And afterwards you went, that is not my calling. That was simply mm. suffering for me. And I know it was discipline, and I'm glad <laughs> that I did it. But that also didn't, because I, I do, I, I agree with each other. Yeah. Our passion has that dualistic nature to it, where it simultaneously takes all we got, mm. and then we sign up the next day to do it again. 
And I feel like that's like, that's like parenting for me. It's, it's the hardest thing that I do in my life. And even if you said, Hey, what if we could erase memory of any of this? And you could go back to being just the two of you, you and Paige, and you could get to do whatever you wanted, whenever you wanted. I would, I, w- I wouldn't touch your suggestion with a 30 foot pole. And yet I'm tired and I'm exhausted <laughs> and it's difficult. And there's days that you just want to like throw up your hands and scream and run away. So how does passion play into moments like that? Totally. I think like for one, it's cool that like God is still honored when you pour out passion. That's like, it's not your passion, but for a season you were suffering through doing something hard, like you were saying, like, I don't know. I think about like probably like admin or organizing things are probably not my thing. I'm like, I did it. And that was rough. And I have no desire to do that again tomorrow, but God's still honored in that. And then there, there are the times that it was like the most exhausting thing I've ever done in my life, but at the same time feeling the most like refreshed or even like nearest to the Lord because you like walked it with him because I don't know. Yeah. There's like a really cool balance of like continually pouring out and being emptied and then continually filled in the right things that like do kind of put all of those together that God's using. And, and I think like that's the thing that we like all kind of crave. Like that was Paige's question initially. Like, why do we ask, why is this such a big deal? And part of it is like our FOMO thing. Like I've got three fun options, which one's going to be the most fun. And sometimes when that's our value, we do get analysis paralysis and we never choose because they're all fun. But the like passion and God's will being our ultimate goal then is like, to me, total security in decision-making. Like, like you said, what is it? Uh, Matthew seven, I think when he's like, says, uh, who would give their son a snake? Like you go, Oh, he's not going to give me a snake. If I'm doing it in like trusting God, he like, he has the goodness to bless me. And it's going to be with something so much better than fun. It's going to be like passion, which is fun and work and fulfillment and, and purpose all wrapped up together. And that's like, that kind of like sets all my fears trust when I look at like future stuff. That's like super overwhelming is like, well, but there's like such security and just the thing that God hands you to do. And at the end of the day, like, if he is sovereign, it's what's going to happen. But I think it's a Tozer quote that says, outside of the will of the Lord, there's nothing that I want. And as long as I'm inside the Lord's will, there's nothing that I'll fear. Mm. And that's that weird moment where you just get into and you go, I am smack dab in the middle of what I'm supposed to be doing. What creeps in is, especially for young adults, like subverting your passions in lieu of pragmatism. Mm. What's like the first thing we ask each other? If I'm like, hey, hi, I'm Chris. What's your name? You're like, Paige. Oh, what do you do? What do you do? It's 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 mm. so core to who we are. And that's why when we think about decision-making, we almost always think about occupation, college, which leads to occupation. Mm. And I think some people are called the tent-making, which if you don't know the analogy, in the New Testament, Paul was a missionary, but he made tents to make money to fund his missionary journeys. Mm. I think sometimes that's what we're called to do. Go do what God gave you to do. If you're an engineer, be an engineer. But then create margin in your life that if you make a butt-ton of money being an engineer, then be generous. Or if you make a butt-ton of money being an engineer that you can take two weeks off in the summer and go mm-hmm. support youth camps, go do that, right? Like, sometimes it's we don't just have to sit inside of our calling as our career. You can be in your calling and in your career and they don't have to be the exact same things. Which I think, Tyler, you talked about a minute ago. You're not living in a church, but you're absolutely exercising your calling in the midst of it. So, something that I'm really interested in from you team is this concept of like well just pray about it or I'm gonna pray about it and I think that this happens a lot and then sometimes people come out of a a prayer moment and I'm like 
ooh, that's actually not in the Bible. Um, so what do you, what comes to mind when you hear this concept of like, just pray about it? Or where does that fit in this conversation? Because I think prayer is important. I do believe that God's voice speaks to us. Um, but I think we can get it wrong a lot of the time. So where does this fit? I'm actually reading Through Prayer by Tim Keller with uh, my life group right now. And we've really gotten to discuss this and wrestle with this question of like, how does God speak to us? Like, what does that mean? Is he going to tell me, do I go to Cal State San Marcos or do I move away? Like, I wish he would just tell me. And I think prayer is largely like seeking the wisdom of God and and gaining wisdom ourselves through prayer. And wisdom comes through knowing God deeply, knowing ourselves, and then just experience of learning and paying dumb tax for those things. And I feel like the biggest thing that we've learned as a group is that God speaks to us through our personal understanding of him, and that only comes through scripture. Like, we want God to talk to us, and it's so frustrating when we feel like we can't hear him, but we don't open a book of like (laughs) 10,000 of words that he said for Mm -hmm. us to last us generations. Mm -hmm. And the answers to our questions, I feel like, are in there, but they're not clear and and black and white, they're through a a deep personal understanding of God that gives you the wisdom of God that right back to Paige's analogy earlier, you know the tie that God would pick. Mm -hmm. You know what God would want from you. If you're deciding between staying, going to Cal State or moving up to UC, maybe God doesn't have one that he particularly prefers you go to because I think you can glorify him either way. But maybe there's an opportunity down the road here locally that you would be missing out on by moving away that you feel like God does have your name on it and you've learned by knowing yourself wow I really have giftings that that opportunity would really align with my passions and my calling later it's 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 that analogy too I, I, I like the tie analogy but I think sometimes when we open up scripture let's say if one tie was like a gold tie and one tie was a silver tie and you say which tie would dad like I think sometimes we open up scripture to find the passage that says God likes gold ties. Right. When instead what happened is you've lived with your dad so long, you know that his wedding ring is gold. You know that his this is gold. You know that the preference that he has for things tends towards more of that look, more of the yellows. And it, right? It's the idiosyncrasies that you understand about his character that enables you to say he'd like the gold one. But I think we're waiting for the passage that says you need to go to San Marcos. Or you need to go do this. And it's, you're not going to find that there. That's what I said. That's what you were saying, Tyler. Communion enables us to understand the themes of God's heart so well that we can navigate what he wants for our lives. But if you open up scripture trying to find, does God want me to marry this woman or marry a different woman? Or does God want me to date this person or date a different person? You're just not going to find it. What you are going to find is an invitation to know God's heart deeper so that you begin answering things the way that he would, or you're able to get to that last line of the discernment process to go, I don't know that God has a preference here. I'm going to move in my passion and I'm going to go. I think with the word, using the word too, I love in Psalm 139, it tells us that God's word is a lamp into our feet. And just a personally a powerful analogy that so often I want God to show me like the finish line Mm -hmm. and where Mm -hmm. I'm going to be at the end. And really he's just showing me where my feet are and maybe like half a step in front, Mm -hmm. but I don't get the whole plan revealed through it. And that's actually much more relational, much more intimate, much more requiring trust than knowing the whole plan. Yeah. Um, But here I want control and I want to know the whole thing. The lamp shows me where I am right now and maybe what my next step is and not the finish line. Mm. 
Because if we did, if we had like, you know, that old Fidelity commercial where there's like a green line on the ground, it's like, here's your path towards retirement. Do exactly (laughs) this. Like, then God could be like communion and relationship with God could be replaced by like a one word, like a one page memo. But that then we wouldn't know the heart of God. We wouldn't be able to navigate those other things. So that's really powerful. I think just something that's like personal has just been in like questions that I've had for God over time that it feels like he doesn't give me an answer for a really long time that my, like I'm checking my intention. Is it just to get the answer? Is it to get more of God? And that's exactly what you're talking about with like having wisdom for decisions. Like we don't just get to take his wisdom and not get him. And it's almost just like flip flopped priorities within those that I just feel like sometimes we do get so hyped up on like, what's the right answer. And sometimes that's something to surrender and go like, if you didn't give me the right answer, you're still good. I'm still going to follow you. And that's really the call of our lives. That's the call that like we have the hardest time kind of adopting for the rest of our lives. That's much more important. It's, it's too, when you get a, when you get someone you've walked through a lot of life with, and then they make a big decision without you. And then you go, why didn't you why did you not come to me and talk to me? And they go, I didn't talk to you because I knew what you would have said. And I feel like that's that idea of like being welcomed into God's wisdom. And that's what the the book of Proverbs talks about wisdom as a person, which we understand the spirit living inside of us and and the the way that the father has blessed us by giving us wisdom, that the spirit that lives inside of us being a person. But I I think sometimes that's what we get to. I didn't ask God because I knew what he was going to say. And that's for me, one thing where, don't go to the sources that you think are going to give you the answer that your flesh wants without checking with sources that are going to disagree with you. I've heard recently that where we want answers, God offers presents. And that's good. Yeah. There, I mean, in Job's story himself, he's like, why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? And over and over again, God just offers his presence. See this with Jesus. When he's asked question after question after question, he always answers in a very relational way. He doesn't actually answer the questions. And I think that makes us really uncomfortable. Um, so we, yeah, kind of what Natalie was saying earlier is we often just want the answer. We don't want the God behind the answer. That's what, that's our heart for you guys as you're listening to this and as you're navigating life and your different circumstances is that we would just learn, it's, it's, the, it's the model of the podcast, to learn to think biblically through a worldview, even knowing that sometimes the conclusion of our decision-making is that God gives us the freedom to act out of our passion and out of our desire and what we want. And that's the type of love that God has for us that begins with making sure we're avoiding sin and moving into what has God called us to be further into what wisdom has God put in our life through dumb tacks, like you were talking about earlier, Tyler, our past things that we've done, mentors in our life, but then ultimately moves into a place where we're saying, what do you want to do? What do you want to do in this? And so we don't want to experience analysis paralysis, kind of what you were talking about earlier Natalie, and, and our, our hope would be that we would understand God fully enough by searching his scriptures, by worshiping and listening and meditating and praying, that when it comes to decisions, we'd be able to make split-second decisions, just like if someone asked, hey, what color tie would your dad want? We'll see you guys next time on the Jordan Podcast. <laughs>